Hello, welcome back to another week of DP World Tour Picks and Bets. Skylar Hope here with Tom Jacobs. Tom, how are we doing today? Uh, I'm better. It's it's weird. We kind of broke that second place uh, stretch with a you know a not so second place, which was a shame. It wasn't the way we wanted to do it. Um, but you know it's it's good. Um, a little bit disappointed with my selections last week, uh, but you know it, it happens. Uh, we were on a good run, and uh, we can go straight back to it in Denmark this week. Yeah, I tried not to think about the four or five footers that Antoine Rosner missed all of Sunday that would have gotten him into a playoff. You know yeah. the. You know, the three pars and the par fives that all kind of went away as I thought Thriston or Wallace would have taken it deeper to like 19, 20, 21. The fact that they both stumbled in. Um, but Thriston to me, I was I actually spent the weekend with Axis. Uh, we were together on a little um, holiday, a little bachelor party. And um, we basically uh, kind of talked a little about Thriston. How he had been on him for a good amount of time. And it made sense because he arguably... I mean, Tom Kim did so well in that stretch, but I think Thriston's Scottish, um, or I guess Irish, Scottish, and Open Championship were all very, very impressive. And it's hard to not keep up with somebody. I think he missed his next cut, and then this was, um, you know, after flashing again the, the next event, and then would win. It wasn't really a surprise in that matter. I mean, the number was short. You know, it wasn't yeah. um, something that was, you know, out of anywhere. But he has had a heck of a year. I think he is deserving of president's cup discussion especially if things continue to roll out this week so definitely interested yeah i mean it, it just depends right who isn't isn't on that team and and what implications are from that i get the sense that potentially that will all be sorted after the president's cup but i you know I, I don't know yet so yeah i think i think he's obviously someone that's in the conversation um i guess maybe doesn't get as much attention as you would hope because it's a secondary tour right at the end of the day um and you know he's he's been kind of frittering between this and, and South Africa as well. So um, I don't know. I mean, he, he's been really impressive and he showed great stuff. Like to hold off uh, Wallace, who's obviously, um, you know, one of the better winners in that field is, uh, you know, no heart, you know, no small feat itself. Yeah. What could have been crazy is we could have seen back to back weeks of somebody just not having any ball striking. I mean, Wallace was first and around the green, first and putting. Yeah. Loses in a playoff, you know, to have the back to back weeks that could have been that way. Um, is quite unreal but um i think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk also up tour championship and incredible uh performance by rory mcelroy um i don't know if i want to classify what shepherd did as a meltdown but it wasn't uh y'all but gave it uh gave it away after having that huge lead sunday morning but um yeah i, th- I think you you probably have to call it that right and it's it's, it's yeah. horrible too because it, it you know we saw that video at the end with rory saying that he was kind of upset because Scotty deserved it all year and that's, I think that's him being a little bit you know humble but you know the way that kind of leaderboard you know shook out all week really you know you saw some guys finish inside the top 10 like Sepp Stracker who you know once he was in that position kind of kept hold of it and um, you know Max Homer was he like top five I think in, in the in the tour championship and in, in the FedEx Cup money so you know there was there was some pretty interesting storylines that developed from it I, when it was he had that massive lead on Sunday. It felt like, oh, yeah, the, the format doesn't work again. And then all of a sudden, Rory comes and does that. And you're like, well, does it work? Like, is it an okay format? I still don't really like it, but it caused a lot more entertainment than people expected, I think. Oh, yeah. I think uh, the format probably got absolutely bailed out by its best case scenario. Yeah. And and that shouldn't get rid of the conversation of, of what it is. I I've... Think- I've uh, 
I mean, I think I've talked about it before the shotgun start, but the fried egg podcast that that Andy Johnson um, and Joe, ah, what is Joe's last name? Um, let's see. I just want to make sure I have Joe's last name. 100% right. But they've had some very, very good discussions. Uh, Lamagna, Joseph Lamagna. Um, they have some good discussion on the Friday that I am very in line with. And they, they talk a lot about the playoff structure. It's just, it should be the, they make a joke about the Super Bowl. You know, Rory does as he walks in there, the FedEx Cup Super Bowl. But every other sport, it's the biggest thing of the year. You know what I mean? The yeah. last game is the biggest game of the year. And it felt like a joke to a lot of us. And, you know, of course, all of it turned out to be incredible yesterday. But um, I think there's just so much discussion you can have regarding the the evolution of what needs to happen. And I think, I think you know, a lot of people said at the start of the week, multiple, I think we kind of did our show and, and, and stuff, that, like, it felt pretty scripted that that Rory would just go and win, right? Like after the season that he's had. Um, what do we make of his comments of, I don't know if you, you kind of heard them or not, that he was just so pleased that he can prove still that he, when he's at his best, he can beat anybody. And then he kind of said like, well, I took down the world number one in Brooks Kepler in 2019. I took down the world number one in Scottish Sheffler this year. And it's like, well, they kind of had to do things wrong. Like I know he played well, and you can't take that away from him, but like, it was like, look, you probably don't. What I think the, the really curious case of Rory McIlroy is like, yes, I think those things are true, but it probably doesn't happen enough. Like, I know he's been brilliant, like top eight in all the majors this year, but he only really had a chance to win one of them when it came to it. He didn't. And and that always concerns me. I feel like he's, we could still look back at Rory McIlroy's career and just go, like, what if, which is a horrible thing to happen. Yeah, I mean, to be what most FedEx Cup titles of anybody ever. And yeah. to not have a major in eight years is just like, uh, it's, it's quite odd. And it's the, the, the other, like, I would say the two wins he had were, I guess the two recent wins he had. So Canadian open in this were like when max pressure was on in or at least max, um, controversy was happening in regards yeah. to live, which is like awesome. Um, you know, that's an incredible step up to the plate moment in, in no disrespect, a really big moment. Like Canadian opens a big win. That's a really big win. Um, yeah. and, um, that to me, it's hard to, it's just hard to separate, but like the fact that, you know, you don't win the open championship and, and that's setting this year, you know, it's, that's also very difficult. You don't capitalize on a first round lead in, in the PGA championship, you know, like there's a lot, that's a lot of meat on the bone that could have been there. And, probably needs to be there i think it's one of those things like i've always kind of held the the lack of major wins over the last kind of eight years against him when you look at i mean he, he's obviously not the popular guy that he was but you look at phil mickelson who's had a, a wonderful career in the fact that was he won like is it five majors he's won six is it five or six i think it is um you know like maybe we shouldn't be defined defining them just by major victories i kind of had this discussion on on the lost words podcast quite a long time ago that like it probably shouldn't be. We, we kind of, I think me and Charlie Ford did it, we kind of went back and forth on, on who was right on it. And then in the end, we both kind of agreed with each other. So I don't think there is a, a there is a defining aspect. I think it's hard to be the best without having multiple wins. But, you know, again, you, you think about the extraordinary credit Greg Norman had, as much as people don't like him and that sort of stuff. Like he was a brilliant golfer. Um, but that, that the lack of major victories is always going to haunt him. Yeah, yeah, man. I'm uh, I'm in the middle of reading Phil's biography by Shipduck, and he just yeah. won his first his first Masters, and then that same year, 
be top five or top 10, at least all the rest of the majors. And it just felt like it still wasn't even, you know, to the degree. And I don't know. I, I think it's okay to, to hold majors to what it is. And that just separates a kind of player um, when all chips are on the table. And I mean, a lot of conversations can be had about the, the adjustment of the FedEx playoffs. And then does that crown the, the best champion or the right champion? And, if, if they switch to match play and, and, and all this stuff, like it's at the end of the day, like when you get in, I don't know, man, we, we could probably spend hours yeah. and hours. It's just, and I, th- probably, I think, yeah. I think the defining thing is like, how often is the major is a major one each time by the world's best player at the time? Like it doesn't, I feel like it doesn't happen as often as, as we think like, then that's not disrespectful to the, the people that have won majors recently, but like, you know, yes, they might have been people that played well in majors recently, but it doesn't tend to be the long-standing best player in the world that wins, apart from when Tiger was doing it. So I think there, there, there's something to be said about... Um, I, I just thought it was weird. I just thought it, it come across kind of like... I think it's confidence, but it came across as an arrogance, which is a negative. So tough. I mean, I, I think I always hold Rory to a higher standard than I do others, which is, is a positive in the sense that you think, you know, that you can do that to him, but obviously a negative that you then kind of make horrible comparisons for him. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that for a Rory McIlroy-esque postcard, or shall we, and then go into the Maiden Himalayan. Yeah, yeah. Now we get to see Rory three out of the next four uh, events over here overseas. So um, before they get to kind of the big boys, you know, we have Wentworth coming up. Um, we have uh, the Alfred Dunhill coming up. We're at the Italian Open in between uh, the Ryder Cup venue. But we're first making a stop at Maiden Himmerlin. We're going to be in Denmark this week. Uh, you know, we've seen this course twice over the last three years, uh, both times won by uh, Bern Beesberger, one time over Robert McIntyre when he pumped at OB on 17 or 18, uh, gave himself a, a good chance there. And the last time we saw Byrne ran away from the field uh, after Guido did his best on Sunday uh, to find himself in the mix. But decent field, I would say, um, coming into the stretch here. I, I'm always a huge fan of this event. Um, I was talking with Bear Off, our friend, this morning, um, and he brought out his uh, like article that he written in like 2017 uh, when there was first DraftKings salaries. And it talked about the fans here. It talked about the amphitheater that they have on the par three. Um, it is one of the more well-supported uh, DP World Tour events by fans, and they get a lot of Danes into the field. And it seems that they genuinely um, care and want to represent. And I feel that way almost a little bit more, you know, about all of the DP World Tour players when they get to represent their home country in the events. It yeah, matters more than than from like a state perspective. It seems, um, you know, on the PGA Tour side. So definitely excited uh, for the week here. Uh, any thoughts specifically on on like profiles of the course itself? So I think I was, I was kind of reading some some kind of stuff. Um, you know, Steve Rawlings that does Betfair, um, he, he kind of put a reminder there that there's been some correlation with um, the Austrian Open, Diamond Country Club, which is you know an interesting fact. So it can, the kind of it's only you know it's a resort esque course, so it's kind of only defence um, is is if it gets kind of windy, uh, it's fairly open, it's going to attract those guys that can hit it far and, and take control of their wedges and, and putts. And I think, you know, you mentioned right at the top about Wallace, you know, all being um, short game, um, you know, driven. And, you know, that was the same with Kiefer uh, when we asked when Gavin Green. And I think that could be, you know, third third week in a row that could happen. Like it could just come down to the short stick. So um, I, I don't know if we'll ever get the, the best ball striker record, like the approach player uh, rewarded here, but maybe off the tee and passing could be a big focus. 
Yeah, I just think, um, you know, for, for me, when I'll target specifically on a guy that I think um, could do it here. I mean, the distance, it's definitely quite short, um, you know, 6,700 yards, 6,750, something like that, um, where we have seen. But, I mean, definitely if you look at guys that have won, they have been, or I guess in the mix, have been some of the best ball strikers out of the mix. Yeah. Two-point Wallace did did win here uh, during his stretch run in 18. But, um, ah, so Wallace was a different course. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, he won this event in 18. Yeah. Um, it was Surrey who had won here the year before. And Surrey's another one who yeah. was one of the better ball strikers, um, you know, during that stretch run. So, uh, yeah, I think there's different ways to, to attack the course. And if we dig into uh, kind of the odds board um, from the top there, you know, we have the favorites. Wallace coming off of a week uh, being the, the lead around the green and strokes gained to putting, then being the favorite into this week. And then Thriston Lawrence being the clear one, two, almost the one, two, three of last week. I don't know if Manzel ended up fourth or, or third, but the one, two, three carryover. Uh, yeah. He's 30. Yeah. So one, two, three from last week, Manzel and then McIntyre, Arnas, um, the clear three on the, the top of the, the odds board. Um, we also have large prizes for DraftKings this week. So $20,000 to first place. Already uh, messaging DraftKings Assist about pumping Wentworth uh, for next week, too, because we have a little competition, not little, but uh, Liv does have a tournament this week where DraftKings is offering $100,000 to first place um, in those contests. So hopefully we can get similar to that for Wentworth, even though the competition is NFL next week. Uh, but either way, I'm super yeah. happy with 20 k uh, for first place. So I guess of the top of, of the board, I, I don't think either of us are betting any of these guys, but DraftKings-wise, you have a preference? So I was very close to Matt Wallace, and, and I, I actually thought the odds weren't too bad. And like I know he's the favourite, and we don't tend to go there, but like 22 to 1, he was the best price over here, and I, I actually thought he'd be shorter than that. Um, when I factored in the fact that it wasn't driven by ball strike, and I was a little bit concerned. Um, but you could argue that if his short game's in great shape and he's the type that can just you know get hot with his irons at any point, then that's great. So I think my advice would be, if you do like uh, Matt Wallace, to, to continue with that. Um in terms of the top of the board, probably Richard Bansell, I think, is the most reliable, I would say. I think there's there's definitely more winning upside from some of the others uh, around the top of the board when they, if they get there within the hunt. But I think the one that you, you kind of look at at 9-6 in DraftKings and at 28-25-1 in the betting board, like Richard Mansell, it was, it was difficult for me to leave him out, I think. Yeah, it's just such a great bunch of golf um, by him. and it's almost kind of similar with him and Rosner both like the fact that they are playing as well as they are with their ball striking. And I mean, Mansell has been very close. Uh, Rosner's also, you know, been close, tough to not get over the line after they've hit it so, so well. Uh, but yeah, I think a great way to attack, to attack Mansell then would be um, getting to him in DraftKings. And then um, I guess I, you know, I don't really hate going back to Lawrence. I mean, he's the highest priced golfer, but again, if you think about that stretch that he has put together, um, I think, you know, it, it just continues and it makes a lot of sense. I think he's very deserving to be priced where he is. Um, another golfer, of course, I mean, all these guys, I have a tough time saying any to them, but Manzo from a price perspective to the odds, I agree, seems the safest. My first selection from a betting perspective comes just below here. I think 33s is the best number um, that was this morning on him. It's Eddie Pepperell. And I do think this is a course, personally, that the irons weigh significantly more than the off the tee. Not that you can't do well off the tee and it correlates, but, like, the distance one, the openness to, like, it hasn't been as – 
propelling to victory um, off the tee. And, and what Eddie has done, and, and to get priced where he is now versus where we were interested in him a few weeks ago, that was the beginning of the run. He's now produced five consecutive top 10 strokes gained approach tournaments. You know, that is quite the feat. Uh, or I guess four, four, four straight, because he's gone 11th, 2nd, 20th, and 8th his last four events. Um, you know, and his strength is he's pretty accurate off the tee. He's just very, very short. I don't think that will get overpowered um, from an off the tee type of perspective. And those irons are just continued to be lights out. So if somebody can put the um, consistency like that right now and on the DP World Tour, I'm going back to the well there. So that, that to me, I think Eddie at 33, and if he keeps up that iron game, which now seems to turn a corner, um, I absolutely love it. Yeah, he's played, I think, four times. I think his best finish was a fourth place finish uh, back in the day as well. So that great sign. I think I think Eddie's playing well enough that, like, no matter what's really required of him, he should do really well. Um, look, to, to, to clarify my other point of, of maybe it's not the best iron player, I think, you know, that's just always important, right? And it's, you know, oh, you're, yeah. you're, right to, you're right to kind of circle back to that and, and say that that is key. Um I just think it's going to be a case of the the, the putt is going to make a massive difference. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. You have to score. You have to score here. I think, is there two short par fives that that are here as well? Um, I think so. You know, you've got a chance to kind of make eagles. Um, you've got a 472-yard par five on the front. Uh, it might just be the one short par five, actually. It, I think it is, because the other one's 645. Um, yeah. So I guess one really short that should be reachable by all six forty five. I don't know if it's reachable by. I mean, maybe man. And then you got, and then you got, and then you got the five fifty eighth as well. So yeah. it, there's a couple that you can kind of attack, and one that you should be taking advantage of. And then you've got the couple of um, shorter par fours, if you like, three hundred forty two yards, three hundred thirty seven, three hundred thirty eight. Like they're not, they're not long par fours, right? Two sixty nine on fourteen. So there is a lot of kind of holes that you can attack. Um, does that work in Pepperell's favour? I think the way he's hit the ball, it probably does. I, I, I think the, the Pepperell of old, it probably hadn't because I didn't think he was as aggressive as he normally was, but I saw a little bit of that from him recently. So uh, I do like that. I think that's just why it plays into someone like Mansell's hands because I think that, like the volatility of what he's doing at the moment is, is great and he can just get hot with it. You know, if he gets hot down the stretch on those shorter holes and the par fives and stuff, like that could be really rewarding. And again, to, to go to, to talk about Mansell, like, I was really impressed he actually shot 66, 67 over the weekend. It didn't feel like he had the easiest chance considering what Lawrence was doing, and maybe that helped. Um, but, you know, ultimately he only finished two shots like short, and he made a couple of bogeys, but Lawrence made a double and a bogey on the final day. So it's, it's not like, you know, there were mistakes to be had up there. Wallace went bogey-free, uh, which probably says more about him than the others, I guess. Yeah, until the playoff. You know, that's funny. You okay. lead you lead around the green and strokes game putting all week and then you three putt the last hole. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, that's, I mean, I think Eddie's also 9,100 on DraftKings. I think starting Manzel him, like, yeah, that feels huge. pretty, pretty yeah. strong for me from a golfers that you can really kind of just see a lot of, a lot of consistency out. And it does, it does feel like a course form type course. Like if some, you know, people do seem to go back to the world, like Bradley Dredge has been runner up here a couple of times. David Horsey's won and been runner up. Um, you know, as you said earlier, Bert Wiesberg has gone back to back. So um, I do think it's a course. If someone's showing something in the past and they're showing any sort of life, uh, probably worth a look this week. Yep. 
Yep. I know you go a good bit down uh, the board. I guess not a good bit, but decent bit down the board before starting. Um, other golfers that are in the 9Ks, again, Rasmus Hoygaard's up here, Connor Seen, Justin Harding, Alexander Bjork um, are the other golfers, 9K and above. I tr- I mean, I guess Seen would probably be the one for me. I mean, you look at, you know, second, second, um, his last two times out. Tita Green game is exceptional. $9,400 feels very fair. Um, those would probably be for me, definitely the three that I think stand out in the nine K's. And even I put them side by side with the guys in the 10 K's when it comes to saving a little bit of dollars. Um, is there anybody else that you feel is warranted of discussion? I think it was same for me. Like, again, I just found it hard to leave him out, but you know, I need winning upside from him at the prices now and different in fancy, I guess, like you can play him in man. So you can play him in pepper also. Um, you know, you're always going to see, I think someone like a, a Harding or a Rafa Bell just do something kind of at the eight, eight, nine, and nine k border, but like, I don't think there's anything to point to them doing it. And you've just kind of got to, you know, if it happens, it happens type thing. Yeah, yep, hundred percent for it. Uh, I think yeah. So your first selection. Let's go. Let's go next over there. Um, I guess from an odds perspective, which one? You know, the states is a little bit different. Let's see. Both of them should be. Ah, uh, no. Let's talk about why. We are both on a Dane together. Marcus, Marcus, I'll talk. I pass it over to you. I think <laughs> I think I got it down. Now. It's, it's Heli, I, Heli Kilda. Yeah, Heli I say it's Heli Kilda, right? It's, it's not Heliki D anymore. We, we, we've got to the point in his, his career where it's been we're a year to, now. Exactly right. You know, we're we're respectful of him now. So um, he's finished fifth twice on his golf course in the Nordic Golf League, uh, and then last year he kind of stepped up into this realm and. You know, you always wonder if you know they can make use of the fact they've played well here in the past on a completely different level, right? And he finished 25th. He closed with a Sunday 64. Since then, he's a three-time winner on Challenge Tour. Like, it's, it's amazing to think that, like, just a year apart or whatever, you know, it might be a different place in the schedule this time, but, like, a year and a bit apart, um, you know, since since finishing 25th here, that he's kind of had those three wins. 29th and 4th, his last two events. He was 8th and th- 13th not too long ago in America as well uh, in those co-sanctioned events and you know he's been fifth and 29th his last two starts seeds green and eighth and 25th in approach so we're looking at a guy who has got a really high ceiling I think uh, could be one of these guys that we start seeing in the 25 28 22 range in, in the odds boards I think pretty soon it's been someone I wanted to try and get on board with a couple of events uh, in a row now and this is just the one because I just you know I think it's a perfect storm really you know he's, he's playing back at home and that comes with added pressure, but when you're playing well, I think you kind of uh, take that on. Yeah, I'm actually rather sure he, he like won the event they had here, like when they were building up from COVID. Because um, Mike Miller has him with a win at this course um, in the past, the same year he finished fifth. So I think they did an event here, like a Dan- all Danish event um, before like kicking things off where he's had success here. But so one additional point that I was thinking about with him when I was on the fence, uh, I was just debating between him and the golfer that you are also on is he had enough points to be in corn Ferry tour finals. He also had top 10 an event and didn't play the next week afterwards when he could have easily been in the field. He chose not to pursue corn Ferry tour finals with no explanation. So, my explanation of it is it's tough to only play two of these events or one of these events. You have to have a full commitment yeah. to the KFT finals. In my opinion, if you want to give it a shot and you want to pursue the PGA tour, he's clearly 
good enough in that type of field. I mean, he finished top 20 in both, both of those events, top 13, I believe, in both of those events. Yep. But I, this is one of the stronger events, in my opinion, of Danish golfers playing well and stepping up. Um, and I think he didn't want to miss this. I think it matters a lot to him to play in this. He's basically safe with a, a card next year. He's inside the top 100. Like I highly doubt if he missed those three events, he, he would have not per not had a card. Like I really don't think that was a jeopardy at all. Now he's not in the Wentworth field. He's like the second or third alternate as of now, um, which can be a separate discussion after their field uh, was released. But hmm. um, so there's there's some pressure to probably get into the BMW PGA. But also, I think he just really, really is motivated to see it up in his home country and is willing to skip KFT finals and play this instead. I think I think you're right. I think it's one. I think it's the the home factor of playing his home open is, you know, highly uh, motivating to do that. I think for, for certain individuals, I think I think you make a really good point about Wentworth. Like that is the event of the of the full season for, for the DP World Tour. And. I guess, what does he need to do to get it? Can he get in with a top 10 this week or does he need to actually win? So as of now, he is, let me see. There was a cut one somewhere. While you're saying that, like, I think I think the motivation to me is that, like, if, if he can get himself into that BMW PGA and parlay into, you know, the Dunhill links and things like that, like, he can get a really good, strong run um, of events here. And I think he believes in himself to have that opportunity to play on the PJ Tour from good performances on this tour rather than trying to go to Conferry Tour Finals, which might actually make you know more financial sense, might actually make more sponsorship sense, etc. Um the the difficulty of trying to play on both tours has not been missed by, you know, is, is easy to see for for a lot of people. And I think he probably looked at that and I think he like you say he's just committed to this event and hoping he can roll that over the next few weeks. Yeah, it's hard for me to see right now because I believe they changed the cut off. Let's see. They don't have that cut line there, but he was like the hundred and like fiftieth golfer on the yeah. priority list, and I be- the red line was above his like two or three above his name, which felt really odd to me because the the best player from the Corn Ferry Tour last year shouldn't be missing on the Players Championship, and this feels very similar to me in in that manner. So I'm hoping getting the fields a, a, either way. A lot of motivation shown life at this course, you know, really has an opportunity to take advantage. Regardless of that, I liked him a lot at 45 to one, but I also liked Marcel Schneider too. I'm, I just couldn't pull the trigger. I know you're back on him. Tell me why and sell me. Yeah, just, just quickly. I think he's in, in the BMW PGA. It looks like he's in Good. category 13, winner of three challenge short tournaments in 2021. Um, but they don't, they don't have the red line anymore. And there's a, Right now, there is like three, 220 golfers on that entire page. Right. So either way, either way. Maybe they're rejigging it. Maybe they realize they've made a mistake. Who knows? Um, let's get to Marshall Schneider. Yep. So I think he's just one of those guys that's looked capable of breaking through um, all season long, really. Like he's had lulls here and there, but he's had multiple opportunities to do that, right? And I think the best run of form came from the Sedale Open to the, BM, uh, to the European Open, where he finished seventh, fourth, and fifth. Um, then he went through a bit of a low either side, like there's no getting away from that. But he was 20th at the International Open, and or he had top 20s at the International Open and the Irish Open. Um, and he's now posted back-to-back seven place finishes as well. Look at the fact second and third in tees green the past two weeks, and he's only you know he's only ranked 18th and 56th in approach, which did put me off a little bit. But again, coming back to my earlier point where I think you know the short game could help and things like that. Like 
I looked at that Austrian Open sort of reference I made earlier, and he, his best ever finish was, um, you know, this level was second there in 2020, coming back from uh, COVID. So adding the fact that he won twice last year on Challenge Tour, which had to his 2018 Swiss Challenge win, um, it, it feels like he is going to sort of break through. I, I, I never, like you say, I, you know, like I said earlier, I don't like to deal indefinite, so I'd say he's going to definitely win on the DP World Tour, but it feels like he's got the talent to, and, and it doesn't look like he's missing anything too much. So I think this could be a good course for him. Yeah, I mean, just excellent play. I mean, and he's strung together. This is the second time in a row he's kind of built this, yeah. you know, run up. I mean, he what was it three top tens in a row earlier this year, right? Um, yeah. So I think just overall for for Schneider, he just makes a, a lot of sense. And I mean, it ha- it happened in bigger events too, you know, for from a field strength uh, earlier in the year. So he's definitely got it in him. I think that's what I like. I like those people go on those two or three event stretches and then they look like and win. Like I know you'd you'd probably rather have someone that finishes inside the top twenty every week and then flashes with top fives and top, and and wins, but they're not realistically people that you get all the time. And if they are, they're they're playing the PJ Tour, right? So um, and they're not think, fifty to one exactly. Yeah. And so yeah. I think that like I think there's still a little bit of value on him. I still think he's capable of getting himself up with the Helikilders and and people like that. They they've both got a lot of upside, I would say. Absolutely. Um, so the next golf we're going to, going to be selecting is somebody we're, we're having a little problem again with, with Tom. The numbers are, are drifting a little bit deeper. He's going to courses that, that he's played well on, you know, and I don't know how I would sum up last week for him because there were some good flashes. He was definitely disappointed to wake up on Saturday morning when Guido was like four over through five <laughs> holes. Like, after he was sitting top 20 and I mean, we saw Rosner basically, basically put himself, you know, in a position you didn't think he had a chance at getting into contention and then plays an amazing 54 hole stretch. Um, so, you know, there's a, a lot of opportunity to, to come from behind on the DP world tour and Guido unfortunately couldn't do that. But I mean, we're just going back to a course where 33rd and second, this was, you know, when he was 33rd, that was 2019 um, for him where, I mean, a good stretch run. I mean, I think he was like 125 to one. He had made all his cuts in a row. So just a solid overall performance. Uh, closed with a 67 there. And then, like you said, last year, when we talked about Guido, you know, he had, he never really sniffed burn, but he had shot the best round of, I think, the tournament with a 63 um, on that Sunday. And that, that led into, you know, what he did at Torrey. Uh, I just think enough, there's just enough in that number. I mean, he's still 66 to one. And if he's starting to to make cuts and show some life again, I don't have a problem adding back to that that weekly into him. If he's going to be sub fifties, you know, sub forties, where he gets in some of those weaker fields, well, we're probably going to get a little bit of a stretch here of Guido in some bigger field events fighting for a card. I mean, that's the wildest thing still going on. If we look at Guido's updated ranking right now, he is 135th on the DP World Tour ranking, so he needs points absolutely needs points to continue uh, to get a card and not go back to Q school. So 66 is for Guido. He can beat anybody in the world. Um, I, I still believe that. So I'm, I'm excited for him to come back. Is he definitely in Wentworth? Yeah. Yes. Because right. he was so high on the priority rankings last year. And that Good. is still the number one indicator. They don't have a reshuffle. They don't have anything. Yeah. So we can win here and then he can win at Wentworth. Right. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. Like, I think, I think that that's something that, you know, I think, 
once he gets his confidence, like he's definitely bubbling into something, isn't he? Right, like he was twentieth at yeah. the midway stage last week. He shot a sixty-six to bounce back from the seventy-two on Saturday. And, you know, when I look at seventy-two as a worst score of the week, like you're not in a bad place, right? You know, that's just a few putts dropping. That's a one missed tee ball or whatever. You know, it can definitely be, um, you know, eradicated. So if he has another good week here on a course that you know we suspect should suit, then he can go to Wentworth and, and put in a pretty good performance. I'm, I'm pretty confident of that. So uh, a couple of big weeks for him. Yeah, I think, too, um, I have the clear bias. You don't have the bias, but you like yeah, to play yeah. along with me and the Guido takes. But when I see our peers starting to get on him, it, it, yeah. it does, like, to your point, something bubbling when, when you know, we started to catch the eyes of other sharp sharp golf betters. I think that's definitely intriguing to me. And, yeah, next week I, I always like Guido on kind of that tree line setup that you can get him at. So um, uh, excited for that. Like, yes, you've got a bias in that, but like this it's not a bias about a guy that can't win, right? Like we know the winning upside of Guido Migliotti. Yeah. We know like yes, you've got that attachment to him because he was there at the start of the story and all that sort of stuff, but like it, it doesn't come from nowhere. Like the, there's substance to it and, and now he's actually showing that form. Like when he was missing cut after cut after cut, it, it gets quite hard to to kind of support your views. But but when he's back <laughs> doing what he's doing and, and I always like like if he's been inside the top 20 for a couple of rounds of a week or, or whatever like he's doing something right and yes okay he might be not fully all the way back yet and maybe we're taking a price that is based on his name as opposed to you know maybe the form that he's in at the moment in general but that's fine you know like sometimes you have to do it on a golfer like him and he'll very quickly half in price if he gets the top 10 this week so maybe not for Wentworth obviously with the stack field but um later on in these sort of events yeah and we see if we go back to, to DraftKings pricing Helen Kelly Kilda is 8400 this week yeah. Um, so priced up, I think in a good range, but you can get all the way down to 7,900 for Schneider, 7,800 for Guido. I didn't have as much betting interest in some of the guys, but I think John Catlin has showed some flashes. Um, I think we've got to kind of have some higher price golfers to your point in Harding, Lotharable, or Laura Thobble, um, you know, 9,200, I'm okay staying away with those prices. Armitage things looks a little pricey for me at 8,700, but definitely I'm intrigued at, at Catlin and 8,500. And Katsia um, carried over what he was doing on the Sunshine Tour. Um, not enough for me to bet, but I think uh, 8K isn't a terrible price either there for him. Um, yeah, so like you, you mentioned in there at all. John Catlin, and he, he won that Austrian uh, Golf Correct. Open last year, right? So there is anything in that. I mean, again, I've, I've, I've purposely steered away from these correlation things a lot recently because I think I got too tangled up in them, and I think this has freed me up. But, but this one, you know, if you go and read... Uh, Steve's kind of preview from last year. Um, he did point out a couple of crossover people. I should have them um, somewhere in front of me. But as many as three players, so Mikhail Lundberg, Bert Wiesberg and Mark Warren have all won at both venues. Um, and, and Wiesberger, maybe you'd say he's just a very good golfer. But like Mark Warren and Mikhail Lundberg, they're people that tend to play well at the same sort of places every time. And, and when you do, you kind of take notice. Um, and Jose Manuel Lara was another one that has played. He'd won the first session of the Austrian Open at Diamond Country Club and finished fourth uh, on the Challenge Tour in an event here. So, you know, th- there's definitely some crossover. And if that, my worry with Catlin is the scoring is going to get away from him, and I don't think he'll yeah. win. But at the price at 8,500, and you look at, um, we'll go into an Armitage in a minute because obviously the, the, there's some interest for me in terms of betting. But um, Ollison, in between those two guys, 8,600, I think could be a good DraftKings play. And I think Paul Waring at 8,100 as well. Yeah, yeah, Paul Waring's definitely continuing to show life. I guess, because um, what odds do you have Do you have Armitage at? Because I just don't know. Um, he kind of sometimes can fall in that, that category to me of, 
I guess he did get over the line, uh, 54 hole event, but very as consistent as it gets from an iron perspective. So I'd interest there. He just got really priced up on DraftKings. What is his odds? He's 45 to one here. Okay, so I guess I skipped over him when I went to Guido. I got too excited. But yeah. um, t- tell me more about Armitage. And why so, maybe I'll change my mind. Well, the thing with me with Armitage is there always seems to be a two in front of his pricing. And I always, I always find it he's always a kind of long-running joke on, on the loss of words that he's kind of 28 to 1 and doesn't move, or he's 33 to 1 doesn't move. And it's like, well, I don't really know kind of what he's done with that. I guess it's model-based from the fact that he hits the ball so well for, for such strong periods of time, right? But, you know, to your point you just made there. But... Once he starts getting out of this kind of 45 to 1 and 50 to 1 range, I'm then buying into that talent. It then feels like what we were doing with Richard Mansell, where we're seeing a ball strike and we want to try and take advantage of it. He's got exactly the same problems as as Mansell, right? Like, there's no getting away from it. He had this. I kind of put him in the same category as, as Andrew Johnston. They had this thing where they were really, really popular for reasons outside of golf. Like they, they had this kind of humour, they had this uh, likability that, that Usher English and, and you know British fans really, really bought into, right? And and I found it dangerous because I felt like, okay, they're going to buy into their own hype and they're going to struggle. And I think that did happen with Andrew Johnson, unfortunately, and, and he's had some injuries as well. And I think that could have happened to Armitage, but he seems to be staying on track in terms of ball striking. So why do I like him here? He's played three times. His last visit uh, in 2020, he finished eighth. Uh, he posted a pair of 66s after a 70-69 start. And then in 2018, I think he was on the Challenge Tour event, but he was seventh after round one and second after round two and just had a poor weekend. So that can happen, obviously. Uh, his, his putter is, is questionable at times, but his ball striking is consistent. So if he's in form on a course that should suit, he was fourth at that Austrian Open uh, last year as well so he's got the clear ability to take advantage of this event so just the increase on the price like it felt like he's actually got to an appealing price to me for once uh if he does what he does and goes to an 18th 19th place finish and nothing better then i'll just jump off again it's not an issue yeah uh, if you look at um kind of the last three months he's the only golfer who is a regular european tour dp world tour player yeah. who has made every single cut like I guess some of the top guys, their missed cuts were in either co-sanctioned or I guess a major championship, Major, but it is a big yeah. deal, you know, but, um, I mean, he hasn't missed a cut in, in a good amount of time and def- probably warranted the price he's at. just felt a little high on that perspective, but I get it from your right as the longest odds we have seen him uh, in quite I, some time. I think again, it's kind of, oh, it's a, it's an each way versus win only thing. So I've seen a couple of videos recently where. Uh, it's not necessarily ours, but a couple of people have been asking each way stuff. So when I talk about that, if people don't know this, it's like playing the top five of you guys. We get the win part and yep. the top five part. And, you know, it's um, it's one fifth of the odds or a quarter of the odds, depending on where you're doing it. And we kind of get eight places. So for someone like Marcus Armitage, who could finish inside the top six or seven and not threaten to win, we're still getting a kind of nine to one payout on him. Uh, so that yep. just to clarify to some people that might not understand that language. But so he... I think that's why he's always priced why he is, um, because people, you know, sports books are, are worried that he can just place and, and people can sort say that. Price. For sure. For sure. Makes um, a lot of sense there. We got one more selection that is sub um, triple digits here, and yep. it's probably my favorite pick of the week from my end. Um, I am very excited about Nicholas Norgard Mahler this yep. week. Um when I think of this course um, and I think of the run in which happened um, and why I think it matters from a Danish or we've seen, uh, you know, Denmark golfers play it well. Like he was that example that I think of actually him and uh, we don't have him in the field this week, but John Axelson were the two 
that really, really showed up last year and, and had an, a run at the same. I mean, Norgard Muller was in the thick of it last year, coming off. He was triple digits um, on the basically a challenge tour. He started Nordic Golf League, then challenge tour, and was playing well. Then he builds it up here. He had won at this golf course. Um, you know, he had his second at this golf course in um, his last two Nordic Golf League events. And he comes out and he finishes eighth on the European tour at the time in this event. And why I like him even more is last week, um, if you looked at the final 54 holes of the event, Rosner was the number one golfer, 209 strokes. Nicholas Norgard Muller was the second golfer with 210 strokes over the final two or final 54 uh, events. And, and, you know, the thing, if you look at him, he ended up finishing 29th last week. He opened up with a 75. That was the worst score by three strokes of any golfer who finished his spot or better in any round that they had. So he was just absolutely pitiful. But he shows up Friday, shoots the round of the day, I believe it was a 61 on Friday, yep. with really, really good irons. We never have to question how this guy is going to be off the tee. We know he's one of the best golfers on the DP World Tour off the tee, but his irons flash of Friday and Sunday came back with another really good round on Sunday. So I think a couple – Rounds like that, a decent outright number. I mean, he was 125 to one last year and wasn't a a European Tour player, wasn't DP World Tour player. Huh. Now we've got a full time season here. Numbers not even that much different. 70 to 125 doesn't feel a huge change for him. Coming off one of his better weeks, he had missed a lot of cuts. You know, we've seen a couple top tens out of him this year. Uh, I think he's got high upside, especially getting back to a course that he's so familiar with. So my only my only concern with him, and, and you know, it depends whether you're price sensitive or not. Is it, it felt like if this was not, if this was just called made in England or or whatever, yeah, and, and it was the same course, same setup, but it wasn't in Denmark, then I, I think he'd have probably been his normal 125 to one. So it depends how you feel about that, right? But that doesn't take away from the fact that, like he said, he finished eighth here last year. He shot the second round 61, which I, I it kind of not seen until late on uh, today that. Like a 61 and a 66, and you know, to finish inside the top 30 means you one, you've had to come back from a really poor round, um, but but two, that you're you're in good good condition. And going back to a course that suits him, like I said, I think it's a, it's an easier course. I think it's it's one that I think he strikes me as the type that can just get on those runs of birdies and eagles that that you need here. So um, I think he can convert with a short stick. Very very volatile. Uh, could you know he's shown that in in a one week space, right? 75, 61 yeah. over two rounds. So. That kind of sums up his career so far. Um, but I think that, again, huge upside and probably the best place for him now until the end of the season. So that's if you're going to bet him, it's probably here. Yep. Yep. I, I de- he was the first one that I went checking for this morning. I'm going to pick up our pace a little bit as we kind of close out. Um, other golfer is kind of in the 7K. So he is 7,400. Uh, we saw if a quick run through, again, Guido was 78. Eight. Uh, Eduardo Molinari popped for the first time in a while, $7,600, took a double take there. I think Gavin Green is definitely in play. Once again, he is just $7,500, uh, kind of getting into a consistent stretch. Our friend Jens Dantorp is back. Uh, he's just $7,500 this week. Kawamura is somebody who definitely has interest after playing well last week, $7,400. Those kind of all feel decently safe. Um, I know you wanted to at least mention, I believe there was two, let's see. I guess if we want to talk about challenge, or we're talking about Dan Torp there, talk about the, the best challenge tour player in this field this week. 
Yeah, so Christian Crow Johansson is, is someone that's been playing. He's a guy I know his agent, so I was kind of always kind of looking out for his results, and it's been really impressive. Um, and he looks good. I think I didn't get to him betting wise because the, the number wasn't what I hoped it'd be. I think we were paying a recent challenge tour tax on them, and that's absolutely fine. Um, but yeah, he's he's just been brilliant on the challenge tour, and if that converts over to here, then great. He's played here a couple of times, um, so he knows the golf course. I, I don't know quite what he's going to do, which is why I kind of left him out betting wise. But I do think he's he's potentially a safe ad in the sense that he can kind of expect him to get through the cut. Um, but my favorite, I think, I think the price is a steal. Like yeah, at, at, on DraftKings versus yeah. for sure we we love to bet these guys. I I love to bet these guys. Yeah, we, I have a problem with this. And, and even at a hundred to one, it wasn't worth it. I I felt I don't feel that much different than. Um, who I don't even I don't even remember the last name of the guy we bet who's side by side. Last week we bet him at four hundred to one. Yeah. Jeremy uh, uh, Freiburg. Freiburg, yeah, yeah Freiburg House, yeah. So it's not that much difference. This guy's a quarter of you know twenty five percent of that number. And, and so, I, I, we didn't even get the hundreds of one over here. He was like sixty six. Like yeah, it, like he, he just wasn't going to happen. Um, and that's not to take anything away from him. Like playing on DraftKings. So I think the the favorite for me in here. Uh, you mentioned Caramora. I think he's great. Now he's showing life. Then uh, just go with him. But Nacho Avila is 16th and 28th in tees in his last two, 14th and 29th in approach, 19th on his golf course before he was 6th at the halfway stage, 12th and 9th for the last two starts, and when he was 34th at the uh, Kazoo Classic four starts, goes 9th at the halfway stage as well. So there's something about Nacho Avila at the moment that suggests he's kind of in the form that he needs to be to contend, uh, and he's right down here at 7,500. So I think him next to Karamora um, and Christian Crowe Johansson there are, are really good little options. And I do think Julian Gurrier as well could be an interesting one in this price range. Yeah, Gurrier continues to to make a, a kind of appearances on top of leaderboards. Um, he's got a, a 14th and 15th place finishes in this event. Okay, all right. Yeah, I think that's intriguing. Okay, so I have two more selections. We're getting one uh, $6,700 um, for the first one, and 200 to one, I believe, is the longest number. Let's see if that's still available. Yep, 200 to one here in the States. Alejandro Canizares. Um, So Alejandro, and this is the biggest argument, I guess, I think I have for golfers off the tee at least giving a cushion. Like a golfer doesn't have to excel this week off the tee to compete here, or yeah. you can, you can find a way. So Alejandro Canizares has to be one of the worst off the tee players in on the DP world tour. Yeah. He has been positive. So data golf does their adjustments, you know, for, for field strengths, even, you know, in the stroke skiing categories, he's been positive to the field based on their adjustments three times in the last three years. And one of them is here at the Maiden Denmark, where he, in 2019, finished T9th, and he had gained strokes gained. It was because he was relatively accurate. He still lost 10 strokes to the field on distance, but he was better with his accuracy, and then he was really good with his irons, and he putt well. So the last two weeks, we see him trending in irons. We see you know, uh, T47 at the Czech Masters. And then we see a T7 last week in Omega. And I think even in Omega last week, you could still figure out a way with distance to have you to your advantage. It's not like there were like big, big hitters that yeah. were up there. But, you know, be, losing 20 yards to the field um, on distance, you know, like he does, it's just not all that great. But his accuracy was a little bit better. Um, and I, I just think there's enough there. And then what really caught my eye is when Ben Coley had tweeted 
how Canizares kind of predicted that his game was getting into the right step. He was very happy the way he played um, in the Czech Masters um, and kind of had built up to what he said at the Omega. And he goes, he was spot on about it. So if we're going to a course where I believe that you can still be okay off the tee, um, you know, not having a tip-top game, and, and he showed that here before, uh, with his finish and then his irons are trending like they are do are right now. And he is super confident about how he's playing. He's very vocal about it. So you get to hear kind of, uh, the way he feels about his game. And then you still get 200 to one on that. That to me, uh, was enough to get into Alejandro again, $6,700 as well on DraftKings. I, I definitely like him this week. Uh, prime candidate, I think for first round leader, uh, oh, that's, six, a, that's a good thought. 62, 63, uh, last week and opened up with a 66 here when he was ninth in, in 2019 and led after day one. Um, so, you know, I know that there's, you, you can't just rely on previous form for first round leader. You know, I know that more than anyone, despite the fact that I keep trying to sort of roll it out, but um, it, it's not the most predictable thing. But if you can get a first round leader market out there somewhere, um, I think he'll be good for that. And I think, I think it's a good price for him, you know, in general. I, I was surprised that he was 200 to one, really, uh, when I sort of first saw him because he had that ninth place finish and, doesn't seem to be a reaction to the fact that he's posted a top 10 in his last week and, and has a top 10 in the course. Like that doesn't seem to have kind of been, you know, reacted to. So it, people have obviously given up on him. But again, I think it's model based. Like, you know, he's terrible with the disease, so let's just leave him out and, and hang a price in him. And sometimes that doesn't work in their favor. Yeah, 100%. So I guess we cracked into the 6Ks there. One more golfer I know you wanted to mention. I think you're on him outright too. Yeah. Um, so 7K flat uh, for Joaquin B. Hansen, our, uh, our dual hit winner that we had last year. We have a soft spot for, for Joaquin B. So um, uh, hit us why. So every every week so far on, on the Lost Words, probably, well, I guess for like three months, it's been like, what the hell's happened to Joaquin B. Hansen? He's going out to 201, 301. He's, he's one of the better players in the field, and he's just been striking the ball poorly, right? So um, I think the fact that he was sixth in approach and 31st, uh, in T screen last week and now returns to course that he's won on all bit on the challenge tour. Um, I like it. So he's in other he's other five starts, he's been like poor here. But when he finished 41st, he was seven past of round one, 13 past of round two. He's definitely boom or bust, but I just think take the 125 to one or whatever it is, 100 to one um on him uh, and just hope that he kind of puts in a good performance after last week. Yeah. hundred percent Definitely 100%. definitely a better bet than he is DraftKings. I think he's yeah. too volatile for DraftKings. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, down here you're you're guessing with a lot, yeah. um, and I'm definitely going to take one more one more speculative jab here as we kind of go down the board. It it actually is a little bit more of a price play. We have a good amount of uh, again they, they represent well having the different um, Danes tee it up. I mean, if you go kind of down the board, Oliver Hundable gets to play this week, but he is priced down um, kind of into the hundred range. Again, Norgard Moller teeing it up. Um, you have. Of course, Biergaard, you have Jeff Anderson playing um, in there. Sebastian Friedrichsen showing up here. Um, you have Lassie Jensen, an old, old hmm. name for those who kind of um, had, had played in the, in the past. But the one golfer that stood out to me uh, the most when we kind of look one at, at kind of the, the golfers who got these invitations, you can kind of see uh, a world ranking standpoint for him. And you can also see uh, some, some decent success this year. He's not a young gun. But uh, Nikolai Tinning is the one that I wanted to discuss um, for the week. Nikolai Tinning is available as long as um, 750 to 1 here in the States, uh, which to me 
Like this is somewhat of the molar of last year, or even the Axelson of, of last year. When I look at this, Nikolai Tinning, um, you look at his, his year on the Nordic golf, he's third in overall rankings, uh, I guess on the, the points list, he has a win to his name. He has a second place. He has a fourth place in his last, uh, three Nordic golf league events. He has 20th, 12th and 12. And again, those are smaller field events. Those probably aren't that strong of finishes. He gets his first challenge towards start a few weeks ago, misses the cut. But what really intrigues me is he steps up last week. Um, in his second challenge toward start of the season and finishes second. It was a 54-hole event there. Um, he lost by three, hit two doubles on the opening day. He had a back nine 30 on Saturday or whatever his second round would have been. Tons of birdies for him. Definitely showed life. He won last year again on the Nordic Golf League. He was very strong. He had a top 10 as well. So in two of his last four challenge tour starts, he has finished inside of the top 10. And that's over the last two years. These are all the opportunities that he has got to, to compete at the next level. So to get him now an elevated event, I guess, for it, coming off of the best event he has had all season, he has some familiarity at the course. He's played here like six or seven times. He has one second place, and that was back in 2017 here. Last couple times wasn't that great, but he didn't come in with the same type of form as he did there. All of these guys have experience at this course. Very familiar to them. But just 750 to one on him when is he all that different than some of these other golfers that end up getting priced quite a bit lower to me to me no i think that's definitely worth a shot we're gonna get a good top 10 we're gonna get a good top 20 on him on DraftKings this week he's probably the lowest golfer i would play and that is 6100 dollars for him but i think he's just very speculative and, and has shown some flashes when he's gotten the opportunity yeah i think so i think it's one of those ones you, you know if you do need to go down there because you're taking a couple of guys from the top then then great uh, i think bobby bayer 6200 is an interesting one as well just i know yeah. you like him keeps hitting the ball well keeps posting these kind of rounds of 65 64 and i think for some reason i've got this in my head that nikolai von dollinghausen will do something uh here despite the fact that he's had some uh, terrible run and miss cuts uh, but he's played well in austria before in, in that course so i think there's a couple of names there that are worth putting into your kind of 6k lineup yeah Absolutely. So excited again. Big prizes, 20K to first place uh, for us this week, you know, and especially going into next week, too, uh, with Wentworth. Let's get some big old prizes. Please feel free, rate, review, subscribe. It goes a long way to support us on the YouTube channel, as well as you can find us at any of your audio platforms, Daily, Daily Fantasy Sports, Picks and Bets, The Mix on Mayo Media Network. Please Rate, review, subscribe. Just We'd love five stars. We appreciate the feedback each and every week. Tom, can you review your betting card here as we close out? I can, yeah. So uh, Marcus Armitage for me at kind of 40, 45 to 1. Uh, Marcel Schneider and Marcus Heller-Kilder at the kind of 45, 50 to 1 mark. I think it's a really good range uh, for that. And J.B. Hansen uh, is 100 to 1 over here as well. He's definitely a more volatile player, but that's where I'm going this week. Awesome. I have Eddie Pepperell. Uh, 33 to 1, Marcus Helikilda, 45 to 1, Guido Migliazzi at 66 to 1, Nicholas Norgard Mahler, 70 to 1, Alejandro Canazaras, 200 to 1, Nikolai Tinning, 751. We deserve a 751. Hey, we do. Know, Tom? That's, we, like, we it's not happened all year. It. Get, get it on Tinning, all in one, get yes. all our stuff back, all those, all those horrible uh, losses, uh, and then we can uh, start afresh again next year. Yep, it was all worth it. Well, I appreciate you, Tom. Thank you so much, and best of luck, everybody, this week. 